are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. 502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Jacob Hillman on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Lance Dahl away today. He took the afternoon off, enjoying himself the Braves game this afternoon. So he's out in Atlanta. And so Noah Gardner and Jacob Hillman holding down the fort with you here on this Friday afternoon edition of the show. But as always, well, it's I can't say as always because we missed you last week. There was, a, there was a void in our hearts. But now, Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com back in studio with us for the Friday edition of the show. Christian, what's up, my man? Not much. Happy to be here. A little happier than being in the forest over at uh, RTJ like I was last Friday golfing. But You weren't enjoying yourself out there? Uh, not while I was searching for my ball every hole. But <laughs> Hey, that's why you it just... Happens. Look, just kick it out. Just kick it out in the fairway. Well, I have to find it for that to happen. That's fair. But. That's fair. <laughs> I definitely I'll go to Target or something like that and typically you can find like reused or, or used Titleist balls or whatever what would that be called Jacob you know recycled yeah recycled like a, just a bucket of Titleist balls or like a box of Titleist and I'm like these are just as good and so why would I not and I can get like 20 Titleist golf balls for like 20 bucks and it's a it's, it's a, a good deal yeah and they like you said they're they're not up to quality of the Pro no. V1 out of the box, but they're almost there. It they works the just fine. They, yes, they get the job done. That's the best way to describe it. Also, look, if I had a brand new Pro V1, I'm not going to get the max use out of it because of my <laughs> ability alone anyway. So I might as well go ahead and get one that's nicked up a little bit. But Christian, it's good to have you on with us for the Friday edition of the show. We got you for the entire first hour of the show. If you want to call in, ask us any questions, 334-321-1390 is the number to call in. Text us as well at 334-564-1840. Christian, starting this off with some stuff going on right now in college football. Obviously, it's a vastly different world out there today than it was a couple of days ago. But we'll get to the NIL stuff later. Auburn news broke today. Devin Barrett is transferring out of the Auburn program. Yeah, so that – I don't want to say it was expected, but it's not overly surprising. Um, I think Jarquez Hunter is a little bit better, and that's just because Devin Barrett was switching back to running back after being a defensive back and then – previously running back before and wide receiver he was all over the place at Auburn and I think Jarquez Hunter was just a little bit better realistically I mean how many carries do you think Devin Barrett would have gotten this year 10 20 maybe so I don't think it's a huge loss for Auburn and they did bring in uh, Jordan Ingram who can be the fourth running back now this is crazy to me because I went back and I looked at his recruiting rankings from 2017 on your guys side and he was a top 10 running back top 100 player I'm like how did the previous coaching staff not use this guy when they had players like DJ Williams, who was a three-star? I mean, Devin Barrett's a former four-star running back, borderline five-star. When you look at some of his recruiting rankings out there, how did this not pan out? Well, you look at his freshman year, he actually did some stuff. He scored a touchdown against Arkansas, and he he, he showed flashes, but then... He was a swing pass extraordinaire, as Zach Blackerby likes to say. <laughs> it's all they ever wanted to do with him. But it just it bewilders me that he was the running back moved out of that 
backfield when you look post-2017. 2017 was the last time Auburn had a 1,000-yard rusher with Carrion Johnson. 2018 was the beginning of Jatarvius Whitlow and DJ Williams and Malik Miller and all those guys. And it's like, come on now. Let's look at the recruiting rankings here. I'm sure that many people weren't wrong about Devin Barrett being a solid running back coming out of high school. I just don't know how he didn't end up, how they thought it was a good idea to move into wide receiver, especially with a much more loaded receiving core than what was loaded at running back. Like I, mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about this in great detail until today now that he's transferring out, but I kind of am wondering what did we miss on Devin Barrett? What could we have missed? And there's no way to know. Yeah, I mean, I don't have the answer for you there. I think it's a tough situation for him where now he has moved back to running back, but he only has one year left. So wherever he transfers, is he going to stay at running back? Is he going to go back to defensive back? I mean, there's not a lot of time left for him in his college career. So it's an interesting case. What more does this tell us about the emergence of Jarquez Hunter, who seems to be, I don't want to use the word spring fling because we really didn't get him in the spring. He's just going to be coming on campus throughout this summer and into fall camp. But there are two new running backs that have entered into the running back room. What does this tell us about the emergence of some of these satellite guys in the room that aren't Tate Bigsby and Sean Shivers now that one guy says, ah, this is the peace out, guys. This isn't for me. Yeah, so I couldn't tell you too much about Jordan Ingram. I don't know how much he's really started quite yet, but Jarquez Hunter, the reviews have been very, very high of him. He got, um, Auburn calls it like the Iron Man of the Week. He got one of those awards. Um, from what we've heard, he's been very good in like their summer workouts. I know Cadillac Williams likes him a ton. I think he could be one of the steals of last year's recruiting class. I mean, he's a record-breaking running back in the state of Mississippi. There are some good running backs that have come out of Mississippi, so... You look two, three years down the line when Tank Bigsby, Shivers, those guys aren't here, he could be Auburn's starting running back. And I think he'll get a fair amount of carries this year as the third running back. I think he's going to be very, very good. And Devin Barrett leaving just kind of solidifies that for me. And you kind of did an under-the-radar series. You started that this week with the offense on AuburnSports.com. And you talked about Jarquez Hunter, but I want to ask, of those five position groups you talked about, who do you think will have the most impact in 2021? Will it be Hunter? Will it be TJ Finley that you mentioned? Uh, Austin Troxel, Luke Deal, or Malcolm Johnson Jr.? Ooh, okay. Um, this is a loaded question. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go tight end, and I'm going to go with Luke Deal because I think the tight ends are going to be really heavily involved. And Luke Deal is kind of that dual threat at tight end where he's a strong blocker, but I think he has more to offer in terms of being a receiving tight end that we haven't seen uh, so far. And there is a lot of talent at that position with Brandon Frazier, John Samuel Shanker, Tyler Fromm. But I do think Luke Deal gets involved there, and that's why he was my pick. So I think he'll be pretty heavily involved this year. I want to take this towards the recruiting trail, which seems to be extremely quiet over the last two weeks or so. What's the latest? What's going on? I mean, two guys announced that earlier this week, Caden Story and then Micah Riley Ducker announced decision dates. So we know that Micah Riley Ducker is coming up next week. July 7th, 6.30 p.m., and Caden Story's August 1st. Where do we stand with these guys? Do you think Michael Riley Ducker is leading Auburn? I know there's a lot of crystal balls out there to Iowa. And then you also look at Caden Story. There's some smaller programs recruiting him outside of Auburn. Auburn, Auburn's probably the biggest program that's heavily recruiting him, maybe Texas A&M. But where does Auburn stand with these guys? Yeah, so with Caden Story, I do think he is an Auburn lean. I think that's pretty safe to say. I believe it's his cousin is Micah Pollard. Um and Auburn is recruiting him as well, so those two would be kind of a package deal. And his brother plays at Alabama. Yeah. Alabama um, hasn't offered him, but still. 
that's there. There's there's some uh, there's some good football blood in yeah. that in that gene pool. <laughs> um, and then as for Micah Riley Ducker, he's making his decision. Was it July seventh or? It, I believe it's July seventh. Like okay. next week. Yeah. So he's deciding. He said he's made up his mind. We don't know where it is. Um, I know there have been some Iowa Cristobal's and some future casts. Those have kind of dwindled a little bit, and people are a little less confident in that. So it's really all over the place with him. He could be coming to Auburn. I'm personally a little bit skeptical about that. I really just don't know if they'll be able to draw him out. Is it an Auburn-Iowa battle here? I think, but Illinois is apparently involved pretty heavily really? too. They got kind of a late push. That to seems try like and get a him. bad idea. But then again, every everybody's got what they believe is best for their for their college choice. I'm not trying to to down what what he chooses. It's just Illinois. In in one respect, Auburn is an outlier because they're the only non midwest school in his group but there's the other side of it where illinois is like just averse to go into bowl games you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah the two teams are actually playing really well right now yeah so he's kind of i mean i really couldn't tell you what's happening with him um auburn has missed out on some targets that were here for official visits recently um caleb artis a defensive tackle who was here for an official visit the first weekend of june he's committing pretty soon and he seems to be a pretty heavily penn state lean uh, Omari and Hampton is deciding in July, I believe. He's like the nation's number two running back, but looks like North Carolina and Penn State are battling for him with Auburn on the outside there. So Auburn's missing out on some guys here, but there are some other guys coming up that Auburn has a pretty good chance at. I made this statement earlier in the month, or earlier this week, rather. I, I said, look at a traffic light. There's green, yellow, red, and let's try and give a color to Auburn football recruiting right now. And I said, Green, you're feeling good. Yellow, cautious. Red, panic. And I graded it as a yellow right now with Auburn football recruiting because in some places, Auburn's like dead last in the SEC. They're definitely dead last in commits with only three right now total. And outside of, outside of, there are, there are only three teams in the SEC right now with less than eight commits. And that's Auburn, Ole Miss, and Tennessee. And I think Tennessee's got six. Maybe Ole Miss has four or five. And then Auburn's got three. Auburn by far is lagging behind everybody else. After these past two weeks or so and the way that you're seeing some of these recruiting battles trending, where do you think Auburn is at? I know it's early and Auburn could definitely recover, but what would you give Auburn as far as a color on a traffic light of recruiting? I would give them a strong yellow light. As in like headed towards red? (laughs) Headed towards red. Light yellow. The expectations for this staff were low and for a very good reason but I do not think they have even met those expectations through the first month of recruiting. Uh, that's not to discount what they've done in the transfer portal. They've done a fantastic job adding players for this year, and they've done a good job with that. But the high school kids that they brought in and the recruiting from what we've seen, they've missed out on a lot of targets. So as of now, don't ring the panic. Don't ring the panic bell just yet, but it's a little concerning from what we've seen. Do you think it's top 20, though, at the end of the day? Like, do you think one day Auburn will at least... And top 20 is really not the barometer that you want to set for Auburn football because, as all of us know from being in SEC country for so long, top 20 in the national scope of recruiting, well, yeah, I mean, that that's that's pretty good. You're going to get in, you know, blue trip ratio rankings and you're going to, you know, have more talent than 85% of college football, 90% of college football. But what's unfortunate for that is... You only have more talent than half of the teams in the SEC because that's good enough for eighth a lot of times in the SEC. You, you think this is able to recover into the top 20, or do you think it, it could be trending towards you know another back-to-back kind of Malzahn-like class that's you know hovering just outside of the top 25? I think they could certainly get into the top 20, but it's also a scenario where 
that doesn't uh, count in the transfers and stuff yeah. like that. And, you know, the fifth-year guys are going to eat into scholarships. So Auburn might have a class of 20 or less players in this recruiting class. Um, if you look at, like, the average stars and average things out, I think they probably will work their way into the top 20. But in terms of the total amount of players they'll bring in balanced with the stars and stuff like that, I don't know if this is going to be a top 20 recruiting class. And that's not just because the month of June – um, which I think was a very slow month and a poor month for Auburn in terms of recruiting. But I think that's just the way it's going to go overall. I don't think the month like fully set them back in the recruiting cycle. How much does the transfer portal redeem recruiting classes from here out in your mind? Just kind of projecting it out. There's no way to know because this is the first year that it's really, that it's really gone this large of a scale, obviously because of what the NCAA ruled a, a month or so ago. But how much could that actually redeem a recruiting class of you know only 15 commits oh i think it could be huge um you look at a guy like marcus harris who committed out of kansas i believe he has four years of eligibility still left and he already has a college year under his belt where he was very productive so getting guys like that is huge you want to look at basketball for a second you know eric musselman at over over at arkansas has done a fantastic job utilizing the transfer portal john rothstein calls him the importer yeah so i think <laughs> in college football they're just beginning to kind of learn that process a little bit and i think auburn has done a fantastic job of that so far they definitely seem to have brought in more players really the majority of the conference out of the transfer mm-hmm. portal i mean what has he brought in like seven or eight guys in the past couple of months alone jacob do you think that'll continue that trend like harson will kind of look to those transfers as you know kind of a kind of how they guide their recruiting class I think so. Um, I mean, I think that was a scenario this year where they kind of felt like they had to. Yeah, you kind of had to. Because they were behind and they felt or they saw some holes on the roster where they needed an instant impact. But, I mean, it's a smart play. Why not continue doing it? Why not go get a guy like Donovan Kaufman or Marcus Harris or TJ Finley or whoever? So I certainly think they can keep doing it. Malzahn's in the past, and I like Malzahn as a coach, and, and, and I think he was a great ambassador for Auburn, and I've said that many a time, even when Auburn was deciding to, to move on from him, but how bad of a situation is Harson walking into from a roster standpoint because of Malzahn's recruiting over the last couple of years, which had good good star ratings, had good rankings, you know, top 15 pretty much across that board, but there were certain position groups that were left pretty shorthanded. Yeah, you want to look at offensive line, that is the biggest issue wink, right wink, there. Wink, wink, shorthanded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is the biggest issue right there. The places where there are holes on the roster, like offensive line, take a lot of time to build back up unless you can instantly go out and get an impact left tackle out of the transfer portal which I mean those are pretty much impossible to find out of the portal well there was one that came up this week but where does Auburn maybe do you have any information maybe to share on that yeah the LSU uh, offensive tackle Dare Rosenthal um, I do believe Auburn is kind of kicking the tires there looking into that he had issues where he got suspended by the school I believe twice he was facing a suspension for this year um so Auburn is really trying to do its research there and see whether or not he would be a fit. But I do believe they are at least interested in him. But there are some schools that seem to be just full steam ahead pursuing him instantly. So it might be a situation where Auburn kind of falls behind early on. Falls behind, yeah. So, But I do believe they are interested in, in him. It's funny, this coaching staff, after A-Day, one of the major topics or one of the major themes when they spoke to the media, whether it was at an ambush event or not, they were saying that team building has to continue into the summer. And a lot of folks take that as, oh, there's still more players to go after in the transfer portal, but that has been like a barren wasteland. There's been really a very limited amount of high-quality SEC-caliber players that Auburn would be interested in go into the transfer portal. I feel like Auburn may be nearing a point where they're 
they're reaching their end. Yeah, well, July 1st, I believe, was the deadline for players to enter the portal and still be eligible to play this year. So everybody who's in the portal now is who Auburn will be able to take a look at and have play this year. So it definitely did slow down quite a bit, though. I think might have caught the coaches off guard a little bit on how much it slowed down. I'm not sure if you have anything to share, but do you have anything on Demetrius Robertson that maybe you you can talk about? Yeah, uh, he is very high on Auburn. Auburn's very high on him, and I believe he's going to be committing sometime in the near future. And personally, I would expect an Auburn commitment there. So that will be a big boost to that receiving core this year. Let's take a quick break here on On the Line, and when we come back, we'll talk a little Auburn basketball. They're taking on Nebraska in the Holiday Hoops Giving event. That's a little bit closer to your neck of the woods. I mean, Nebraska's you know geographically bit, closer yeah. <laughs> to Montana. What do you know about the Cornhuskers? We'll get some information on that as well as your takeaways on the first two days of the new NIL era in collegiate athletics. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Jacob Hillman with you, joined by Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com. If you want to call in, you got any questions, 334-321-1390. Text us as well at 334-564-1840. Christian, tell everybody what they can look forward to on AuburnSports.com. Yeah, so I'll be continuing my uh, under-the-radar series, just kind of looking at players in different position groups that might not be a starter, but I think they can make an impact this year. So I'll be continuing that. And then I've got one more series coming up in July, so you can look forward to that. Very nice, very nice. And uh, tell everybody how they can go unsubscribe out on AuburnSports.com. Yeah, you can just head to the website, and there should be kind of a big subscribe button somewhere on there. I don't, I don't know because I, I am on there. But <laughs> it, it's somewhere it's on there. You'll I see was on it earlier. It's easy. <laughs> just click subscribe. Bang. <laughs> all right. Auburn basketball, this is news from earlier this week. We've talked about it a little bit. John Rothstein reported it before Auburn sent out the press release, and then Auburn sent it the next morning. Auburn basketball will take on Nebraska in the holiday hoops giving event. The best matchup of the day appears to be LSU-Georgia Tech, if Georgia Tech can recapture what they did this previous year, of course. But the best matchup appears to be LSU-Georgia Tech. But I'm, I'm pretty high up on this Nebraska basketball team. They, they've got some guys coming back. At least according to the press release, five of the top six scores from last year's Nebraska team is back, four or five starters. Fred Hoiberg, a coach that I have a lot of respect for, despite his cup of tea in the NBA was very short. He was a great coach for Iowa State, and he built up that program that now you look at is back in the dumps without him. And he, I think he can get Nebraska to a point where they could go to NCAA tournaments, especially with Big Ten resources and whatnot. This could be a sneaky good ball game in early December for a team that won't have had – well, then again, they'll have played in battle for Atlantis by this point. But it will still have been a very small portion of their season underway by the time these two schools play. For sure. And I, I really think when it comes to Nebraska, they were bad last year. They were not – Seven and 20. They were not good. And those guys that are coming back – have to improve a little bit and kind of it seems like they kind of need to gel together Fred Hoiberg's a good coach I think they get better I don't know how much better but and and I really think that you're looking at Nebraska's schedule before Auburn what they have announced so far is a home game against Creighton and then they travel to NC State those are two pretty good basketball teams programs and we'll be we'll know what we're getting from Nebraska from those two games very early right you got Mm -hmm. any thoughts Christian yeah no I think it's a fantastic game for Auburn Um, Bruce has always made it kind of a priority to schedule tough non-conference games the battle for Atlantis is going to be very tough every game's tough in that one yeah Mm -hmm. the mid-major schools that they're uh, they've always been scheduling are always kind of top of the mid-major conferences they're going to be tough especially for a young Auburn team that doesn't have a whole lot of chemistry built up quite yet Auburn played John Moran a couple years ago yeah St. Louis this year 
That's right. I forgot about St. Louis. That one was reported by John Rothstein. Yeah, where do we stand right now on this schedule? I mean, reported by John Rothstein, I remember stuff like USF, North Alabama, St. Louis, Battle for Atlantis, and now this with Nebraska. Am I leaving anything off at the moment? They have that UCF. UCF, that's right, for the home-and-home home series. Yep. And that is going to be a home game? Home game, it should yep. be, yeah. And, and, still tough. And yeah, it's one of those. Fighting Taco Falls. <laughs> and it's one of those things where the schedule, I, I kind of like how Auburn usually does it early on in the first two weeks of the season. You get the games like North Alabama. That shouldn't be a tough game. They were scheduled to host them in the opening game last year. And looking back to 2019 to 2020 before the world fell apart, they had the Colgate game, the, the CSUN game, which was part of the Romans Legends Classic. I kind of like those games early on, especially with a new team that hasn't meshed together. And I think Auburn will do a little bit of that this year before they head to Atlantis. This definitely seems like a schedule that could be loading up. Do you have anything maybe about a return trip to Seattle for the Washington home-and-home? I think that's something that Auburn has been trying to figure out. I don't know if it'll happen this year. Washington doesn't want this smoke. They were awful last year. They don't want this. I I don't know if they'll be able to pull it off this year, but I do think that's something that Auburn – well, I know it's something that Auburn has been discussing to try and get figured out whether or not it's this year, next year, even the year after. And there's probably – you probably don't have any inside info on this, but in in your personal opinion or your hunch, what you feel, do you think the schedule will tame out from here? Because there are a lot of tough – games scheduled on this already with Battle for Atlantis. Do you think it kind of tames out? Maybe they keep adding some more mid-majors and then we get this schedule released like in August or something? Yeah, I think they'll still add some tough opponents, though. You know, last year they played Troy. Didn't they destroy Troy? They did. Well, uh, I, I, well I remember Troy, actually, they had to wait. Spell destroy without Troy. Good point. But <laughs> they had to wait to come out of locker rooms for warm-ups, oh, yeah. like 30 minutes before the game because they had to wait for COVID test results. I, so, I do remember that. It, it was like a, it was a big deal because in the arena we were like, okay, is this game going to actually be played or not? And it did, fortunately. But, yeah, you can't really use that as much of a to gauge Troy's team last year Iowa State already released and I saw this when I was looking at John Rothstein's Twitter page the other day because of all of the stuff that he's reported and whatnot but Iowa State's already released their non-conference schedule like what kind of timetable do you think I mean I I have a hard time remembering when Auburn typically releases their non-conference schedule in full because that happens before the entire schedule is released in full because we don't even know what the SEC schedule looks like you know like you I don't even think we know who Auburn's opponents are on the SEC schedule, who you're playing twice, who you're playing at home, who you're playing on the road. I don't even think we know anything about that. So obviously the full schedule can't be released yet, but non-conference schedules come out before the SEC schedule is released. And I don't know. I feel like that should happen in the next month, month and a half maybe. I think the next maybe two months or so, just somewhere in there. By the end of August is usually when everything kind of starts coming together. Yeah. Yeah, hard to remember. That's not something that I feel like we really... Last year was way different because yeah. you were on the fly and stuff. Are you able to to talk about your exciting news? Uh, well, what is it? You know what you I'm talking me. about in regards, to, in, in regards to the fan base. Yes, I, I will be the jungle president this year. So I'm looking forward to getting back on the floor and actually being able to go to every game with ease. Not... Not last year having to beg people for tickets to get in. <laughs> this man did not miss a single basketball game last year. Home game. I That's didn't travel. Right. I didn't travel. That's right. I didn't actually travel to a single game last year, which sucked. But. Which is not typically indicative of your basketball season. A lot of times you do go. Correct. And they usually go horribly. <laughs> when it Especially went well. on the way back because you get tickets. Yes, that is true. 
that does happen. That's not happened. actual tickets to the sporting event, but <laughs> tickets from local law enforcement. That happened after the Alabama game that Auburn won Final Four year, and then happened after Auburn lost to Florida in football in 2019. Not fun. So that's exciting, though. We have the jungle president in the studio. I mean, those guys are hype, man. You guys are hype. I'm looking forward to getting back in there because it, it's it's one of those things that I dearly missed last year. I know a lot of people did. I know Bruce, the team, and that, that goes for the whole country. You know, every team missed having the students and just really the fan base packing the arenas, which I'm glad we'll be back to this year. A couple we- of weeks ago, you got to watch a practice. Katie Johnson was out there among some other players and this is post the Jabari practice that you were telling us about what were your takeaways from that uh Katie Johnson is a dog out there he is very very strong defensively um he was forced to play point guard because Zeb Jasper at the time of the practice wasn't in Auburn yet he is now Auburn's on a bit of a practice break and I believe they're going to be starting next week which Zeb Jasper will start practicing but watching Katie Johnson versus Wendell Green was a ton of fun man those are two dudes who are a little bit smaller, a little undersized, but they're very tough. They're very physical. They battle it out. I mean, over the course of three scrimmage games, Katie had something like seven or eight steals. Oh, I mean, he was he was a menace out there on defense. And you pair him with Zepp Jasper, who they called the Honey Badger at College of Charleston. That's one of the best defensive backcourts in the country, in my opinion. I mean, imagine a, a lineup of maybe Jasper at the one. Then you have Katie Johnson at two, and then Alan Flanagan at a three. Yeah, I mean that is a, lot a defensive of force. That's right. Which is more impactful that Katie Johnson adds, his defense or his offense? Because it's something to be said about averaging over thirteen points a game in twenty-two minutes a game at Georgia last year. So from what I saw in the scrimmage, I would say his defense will be more of an impact. But the scrimmage was a bit of an interesting case where it was his first practice. They were really emphasizing plays, so he obviously didn't know the plays quite as well yet. <laughs> And he was playing point guard, which he's going to be playing shooting guard in this system. So he was a little little out of his comfort zone there. He still looked good, but, I mean, it's, it's He was just, still learning on the offensive end as well as on the defensive end. You just get out there and you get after it. Yeah, I mean, it is really hard to share just how good defensively he was. He looked incredible out there. So I feel like putting him at the point guard in practice will help him kind of learn those plays, though. I mean, I'm not... I'm not Amongst his basketball, like it's true. Play Quarterbacks got to yeah. know what everybody's right. doing on an offense, you know. Mm-hmm. That your point about his defense, and I know you've been saying that you think he could start at the two. That 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 definitely is encouraging because Bruce likes his two guards to be some of his best defenders on his basketball mm-hmm. teams. But let's take a quick break. When we talk, we we come back. We talk a little bit about the NIL era in collegiate athletics. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Jacob Hillman on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. We got Christian Clemente for another 30 minutes here in the first hour of the show. Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com. We talked some Auburn basketball, heavy Auburn football first segment of the show. If you missed any of the show today, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We talked a lot yesterday about takeaways from day one of the NIL era. Now we're a day and a half, two days into it. What are your takeaways? I mean, I think it's fantastic. Players are benefiting off what they should be benefiting off of. So, I, I mean, I really don't see a negative. So far, it's been good. You know, Bo Nix works with Milo's, some other <laughs> stuff like that. I mean, it, it's good for the players. I'm happy for the players. They deserve it. So, 
and I think it, I think it's good for the brands as well. Mm-hmm. And you you look at the Milo's thing, even though it looks negative, it's all good publicity. Speaking of the Alabama fans that are just just going crazy on Twitter, like the guy who poured the Milo's tea into his sink <laughs> or whatever, even though it it that just hurts you, dude. Like screams, they already got your money. Yes, it screams <laughs> negative, but it's one of those things where. They didn't do anything wrong, so all this publicity is good publicity. Plus, Bo Nix did it at twelve oh one Central Time AM. I think that was a big deal. Yeah, I think that was certainly a big deal. He was the first Central Time Zone player yeah. to announce a, a big NIL deal, and you look at it from Milo's perspective. It's a situation where you know maybe they can't sponsor Auburn, but let's go sponsor the quarterback who has like ninety thousand plus followers on Twitter. So it's a win win. Some other takeaways that maybe I had yesterday. It seems like it's kind of wheeled out on a small scale, and I really do wonder how big this will be. You look at guys like Derek King. I mean, Derek King is already making major money off of this with some of the places that he signed with yesterday. But at least locally, it has started on a very small scale, it seems. Only two players really, only two athletes really signing stuff of of what felt like Something different than Yoke Gaming. I mean, only three players signed something different than Yoke Gaming. It was Jacoby McClain did like Gin Loop, and then of course Bo Nix with Milo's, and then uh, Darian Goburn. That's right with Salute Leo's. I mean, only three players did something different than Yoke Gaming. Every athlete can get Yoke Gaming according to what mm-hmm. they're throwing out to folks. Well, Sean Shivers also started his own apparel line. So and then Smoke different. Monday partnered with like an Instagram oh, edits page yeah, and college then, football edits. Um. And Auburn women's golfer actually signed with like barstool athletes yeah, or something. Michael O'Berry did. Yeah. Oh, I don't even know that. Yeah, she's uh, she's playing in like the U.S. Women's Amateur this summer. So I think th- this is what's interesting about that one specifically. And I don't know how it'll affect other sports, but it's like the amateur status of a golfer. How does that affect it? And I'm wondering like, is she just gonna have like a golf bag that has barstool on it, or or I don't know. It's going to be explain that more the amateur status in golf. Yeah, and so, how is that different from the NCAA and what they were selling people? So that's that's the thing is the amateur status in golf is very similar to what the NCAA was, but we saw the NCAA kind of bow down to what the states were doing, what the Supreme Court said just the day before. I think that the USGA will probably do the same thing with golfers, and it'll be it'll be the, basically the same guidelines. Yes, you can endorse things and and receive benefits from that, but you're not going to be able to win prize money and things like that. I think okay. I think that's pretty much what will happen. Sure. What role do we believe video games will play in all this? Yoke Gaming, obviously, it got everybody, it seems. <laughs> you know, I mean, you look at the Alabama and Auburn players that signed deals, vast majority of them did go with Yoke Gaming, and I don't know how much they're getting, and I'm, I'm sure it's not like major deals or anything like that because Yoke Gaming really did say that they're going to have, you know, if any athlete wants to, we'll sign with you, right? It's like video games have to play a huge deal in this, and I mean more specifically the NCAA video game franchise making its return. Yeah, and I want to I want to say video games, I think we should expand that to things like Twitch and yeah, YouTube. Kind of mm-hmm. like all the stuff that they kind of do themselves. Do I mean... Which we, seems like a better venture to me for in, sure. in many ways because that's 100% you. That's 100% profit. Uh, if you're really ha- not a whole lot of underlying cost on that. Look, if you have a personality, just carry a camera around with you and vlog yeah. your days. That's not that hard. You now, start getting ads. what makes it difficult is if you go to the facilities because I know a lot of schools are kind of being – we saw Smoke Monday's edit. They had all the Auburn logos, the Under Armour logos edited out. Off. 
he if you if you are a player you can't really vlog your time in the facility so it'd be kind of like a day in the life unless you have like written permission right and i don't know how many schools are going to do that (laughs) sure what do you think it's a very tricky situation um, for the players but i agree with you completely jacob it's players video games twitch youtube whatever it's a great opportunity for the players to be able to make some money and i think they will um there's some unintended consequences out there like we have to believe like while there is a lot of positives and i'm not saying that the negatives outweigh the positives here because the positives are great for these guys i'm just saying there there are going to be negative situations that arise at some point sometimes guys get involved with the wrong people where there is money there is greed where there is money there are typically bad things going on not saying that they're trying to but i mean there is an espn 30 for 30 called broke because guys didn't manage their money correctly or put their trust in the wrong people and whatnot and i'm kind of curious what disputes may arise throughout college sports and if that would prompt transfers because of certain nil disputes that could happen between an athlete and his respective university that's something that we're not going to see for quite a while but i wouldn't be shocked if it prompts guys to leave certain programs in search of new ventures now that it's a fair game you can leave and you don't even have to sit out I think that's a fair question, and I think that's certainly something we will yeah. see down the road. It's funny because a guy who <laughs> is probably familiar with these kind of things and doing them not and when it wasn't, you know, legal and it, according to the NCAA was Johnny Manziel. Yesterday he tweeted, "Set up a business, create Shopify account, design merch with fulfillment to ship and handle customer service, tweet slash Instagram directly to your fan base, make bank bros." It, it's one of those things where if you are a high profile player. Have some have an advisor, have someone that's going to help you. And that's what he kind of talks about is that you don't want to do this on your own. You want to make sure because you're young, you're young and dumb. And you want to make sure you have someone to help you along the way. And you do things that aren't super outlandish. All he did was make merch. Now, of course, according to records, he didn't really make money off of it, which it's likely he did. It's likely he did. And I don't know. I think it's one of those things that players just need to be careful with. I think that's why I thought we'd see more yesterday. I thought it was a little... Yeah, I thought it was a slow yeah, roll out here locally. I, I think part of that just comes from... I mean, we're in the middle of the summer, though. Um, once we get closer to football season, okay, I think we might see a little bit more of that. And I think players are being careful, too. Auburn has their program uh, spirit set up to try and help these players. I know Bonix came out and said yesterday that he has hired a lawyer and he's working with him for NIL stuff, so... I think the players are just being a little careful, and I think once we get to football season, we'll see it ramp up a little bit more. Do we also think that there will be less social media stuff than we thought? Do we think we're going to see, like, billboards? We're going to see commercials on TV? I think that's on, during the CBS broadcast. We already like, saw billboards here locally. Tank Bigsby and Owen Papo mm-hmm. are on billboards. Right. Yeah. No, I certainly think so. I think, um, like, the CBS broadcast, like, the very last commercial is always a local broadcast. I, I bet it will always be an athlete. Yeah. I think that's safe to say. I mean, we saw Locked On Auburn yesterday, the the podcast produced by Zach Blackerby. He had three guys come out and say that they had signed agreements with him and Sean Shivers and Brandon Council and Sawyer Pate. So I even think even on even the smallest scale, the media is somewhat involved with that. Um, let's open the bag here because this is being talked about a lot, and we talked about it a bit yesterday, and you know where I'm going with this, Jacob. Should Reggie Bush get his Heisman back? I think he probably should, and yeah. I think he probably will at the end of the day. 
See, I don't know if he will. He should for sure. He's getting the cold shoulder right now. So according to according to Reggie Bush, he is that he's the people aren't returning his calls. I don't think the NCAA will ever return his calls. The Heisman Trust is where I'm fifty fifty. Are those on. separate? Like those are independent of each other? Yeah. Interesting. See that like a little that that weighs in a little bit in the factor of my decision here on what I believe. I'm still on the fence. Like I said yesterday, I, I don't totally know where I stand but like the more and more that I talk to people about this I, I I'm more and more on the side like you can give him his trophy back why not it's one of those things where I'm real something I, I heard someone say was what if the Heisman came out and said we will not award the trophy to someone with an NIL deal I don't think that'll happen because the backlash would be terrible but like I mean that's just something they could do but why would – so bringing this back to Reggie, I don't think they'll do that. I don't think there's even a yeah. scenario where that occurs based on what you said because of the backlash. Right. But my thing is why would you not give the award back if you can? You know, and A lot of people would be like, well, they bring up the criminal situation where if somebody, you know, went to jail for something, like they still went to jail. You can't change that. And it's like, well, if somebody's wrongly convicted, they let them go. It's not like they Wait. said you're still sitting in prison, you know, like stuff like that happens. And then on top of that, like this is a scenario where you actually can do something about it. I, I remember hearing somebody say recently that, the you know, they just like they just changed the transfer portal rules. Now give all these guys who had to sit out another year of eligibility. It's like you can't do that. That's not that's actually not a realistic thing that can occur. You can give a dude his trophy back. Yeah. So I, I think those are two completely different situations. Well, because another thing is put them in the record books. Because if you look at, I, I doubt, in the, I, I don't look at the NCAA record books, but like I bet on it, it's probably just vacated. Probably no one has it. Whereas he should be on where it says Reggie Bush. His name should be in the record books for how he performed in 2005. And impermissible benefits didn't have anything to do with his on-the-field performance. I saw a really funny tweet the other day. This made me laugh. I can't remember who tweeted it, but it was just kind of a random account out there in a comment section. I thought this was really funny. He said, oh, yeah, you know, the the nice vehicle that he was driving around in helped <laughs> prevent leg fatigue. It helped him run faster <laughs> on game days. I thought that was really funny, but it's like, no. like It didn't, it didn't have anything to do with his on-the-field performance. I don't know. It's just which isn't the, that what the Heisman Trophy's about? I know what it's. See, that's the thing is what we think is just totally different from what the Heisman the Trust, NCAA, and the Heisman Trust. Because like I said, they're, they're separate things. But I kind of feel like the Heisman Trust might go a little bit based off the NCAA, and here I think they might go in a different direction. Meaning, not give him the trophy back? The, no, the NCAA would probably never give him the trophy back. Whereas I think the Heisman Trust would be like, you know what, sure. Sure. I think they're just going to get too much pressure. Right. Like eventually, they're going to. I have agree with to. that. Well, it's nonstop throughout this, you know, day and a half. It's that. That's I, I saw more about Reggie Bush maybe than guys actually signing their deals. Well, see, I thought I think the big start was last year when USC said you're welcome back. Mm-hmm. And then well, that, that was kinda... at the end of like a ten year span where they had to disassociate from yeah. him, so they were allowed to welcome him back, which also thought was bizarre. USC was like forced to disassociate from this guy, but even the Supreme Court said that the NCAA's and it was a unanimous it was a unanimous decision that the Supreme Court a rarity. said, yeah, it was a unanimous decision that the Supreme Court said that the NCAA's business model was unconstitutional. <laughs> exactly, silence. You know what I mean? Like, That's a big deal. That is. That is. So I, I, 
I, I'm probably leaning more towards the side. Just give the guy's trophy back. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I understand the argument on the other side. I know all three of us have probably heard this at some point. I understand the argument that there were rules in place at the time that he was playing college football and he did not follow those rules. And he was punished for that when he was in college. He paid the price. He did. He had to disassociate from the university. He lost his records. He had all these different things happen. He got sued. I mean, like, he even had to settle outside with with the people that were suing about this. Like, he he paid a price off the field for this stuff back then, which was the ramifications. But now you can do something about it. Now that this has been determined to be unconstitutional, you can do something about it now. And the one thing that they can do is to get, is to give the guy's trophy back and to put his records back in place. And I, I don't see anything wrong with that because I don't think it had anything to do with his on-the-field performance. Yeah, and like I'm a usually a rules or kind of the rules type of guy, but like Me you too. said, I mean, he's getting benefits that aren't impacting his play. It'd be different if he was breaking rules and taking performance-enhancing drugs or something like that. Or but. even if USC cheated to get him on campus. That's a different scenario for me. This was not a situation where USC paid the guy to go to school at USC. Well, see, right? And what that was not the situation. This is stuff that took place while he was already on campus from outside sources beyond the university. The university got in trouble because they didn't monitor him. And the NCAA decided we're going to come down hard on you guys. And that would be USC getting in trouble. So it's still like one of those things where I think well, there would Reggie be, Bush would get in trouble too, right. but I think there's there would still be like one of those things where hey, he was still the best player in college football. Like, I don't, this isn't Ole Miss stuff, right? Man. This was this is a vastly different situation. Who do you think got hit harder then? I think that's a fun question. Who got hit harder, Ole Miss or USC? Ooh, it's funny because and Ole Miss recovered quicker. They did, yeah, because they're still kind. They got Lane Kiffin, and they're kind of they're turning back. U, on. USC is still, and I think that has to do with SEC versus Pac-12. But USC was such a powerhouse, and now they're just not. I think USC did. You think USC got hit tougher? I mean, they had to vacate a national championship. Yeah. yeah. They had to, Reggie Bush lost all of his stuff. I mean, like, USC got hit really hard, and it was for purely for, like, not monitoring what was going on. So I think part of this is that USC was much more successful than Ole Miss. That's probably That's why you say easily USC got hit harder. There yeah. was more to hit with USC than there was with Ole Miss. And then I'm, I can't remember – the nature of the Miami situation fully was that did my was Miami directly involved with a lot of that do you, do you guys remember because if Miami was directly involved in it then I, I totally understand the incident of like coming hard on it but it, it's all interesting and I wonder how all of this plays into and I asked you this question yesterday how does all of this play into the FBI's investigation into college basketball and how the NCAA treats that moving forward because in a lot of those scenarios assistance went rogue wink wink what happened here you know like that 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 would that from what you know that's been reported publicly about the situation and all of that seems to be a closed book with chuck person i even think like all of the legal troubles have been closed on that as well like all that was an assistant went rogue right like how do, how is the ncaa going to approach that with auburn where those players were benefiting on something that had nothing to do with on the court performance i mean that that's a- nor bringing those players to the university might i add mm-hmm it was more for what happens almost, after. Almost pushing them away from the university. Exactly. But it, it's one of those things that I think you'd have to really dive into to get an answer. Yeah, about we don't that. have enough information. I mean, we don't, we don't know what's been invested. We don't know what evidence has been found through investigation. Right. We have no idea. For all we know, I mean, there could be a, a notice of allegations out there and we don't even know it. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> they possible. don't have to. They don't even have to 
to reveal that publicly just because you get one of those. I mean, we have no idea what's going on with that, and only time will tell. Let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll wrap up our number one. Back on the line, Noah Gardner and Jacob Hillman with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Friday edition of On the Line, Lance Dahl's out in Atlanta for a Braves game, so we're missing him this afternoon. He'll be back with us on Tuesday. We got Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us. Christian, you got some news on the basketball recruiting front, though. Last little tidbits that we've got for you for the last three minutes here, so take it away, my man. I have, I do, sorry. Um, Auburn, <laughs> is, uh, Auburn is very heavily in the mix for Zion Cruz a five-star shooting guard from New Jersey um, in the 2022 recruiting class. He's the number 19 player in the rivals rankings, and I would expect him within the next week, maybe two weeks, to announce a commitment, and I think Auburn would probably be the school I would pick as of now. So Jeffrey Lee put in his future cast for Auburn a couple days ago. I'm probably going to do the same after I leave the show here. So I think Auburn stands in a very good opportun- stands in a very good place to get another five-star. How many guys do we think Auburn will take in this basketball class? Uh, hmm. that's going like to be. They'll new... have to take a handful. I mean, you, you got to expect that players are going to be leaving. Jabari Smith yeah. probably going to be gone, and then Alan Flanagan very well may try to take the next step. Good as chance well. of three first round picks if you include Kessler. Yeah, yeah. I think the interesting part of it though is how much are they going to attack the transfer portal again? How many high school kids are they going are they going to bring in, and how many transfer portal kids are they going to bring in? So, and your answer kind of lies in what they did this year they brought five transfer portal guys now minus one because of desi sills but they went five guys and then only took in one freshman yeah but they brought in one of the best freshmen that's right (laughs) maybe the best yeah so zion Cruz, i I think they're they're in a good spot for some other five and four star guys too though so i would expect more than one but it's an interesting balance of how many transfer portal and how many high school kids do they want to bring in basketball is going to be fun because i think there's a little especially with the trans i think it's more fun on with the transfer portal and basketball because one guy can really change the outlook of a basketball team more so than one guy changing the outlook of a football team Mm -hmm. there's certain positions that weigh more in football whereas in basketball whereas in basketball i don't know if one position does weigh many more than the others because you get an elite guy at center versus an elite guy at shooting guard or small forward of course there's some positions like if you got a great three-point shooter or maybe even point guard probably weighs a little bit higher than some of the others but a lot of it's based on need but like if you had a great center like an elite center coming to the program but then like everybody else was terrible of course that center is probably not going to be as good as they they could have been but still even if you just get one great player on like Auburn's roster that that moves the needle a lot I feel like because mm-hmm. not everybody else is terrible you know that guy's yeah. still going to be able to perform so that's, it's going to be fun to watch from an Auburn perspective with how filled out Auburn's roster is what one player that they could get every year that could really move the needle and Auburn ought to be in the mix for at least one or two guys in the transfer portal every year that could really move the needle and this year was Walker Kessler and they hit yeah well I mean Walker Kessler Katie Johnson those are the two big names but I think Wendell Green and Zepp Jasper might make even more of an impact just because they are playing point guard but both those guys are very good too people just don't know about them quite as much because of where they're coming from yeah especially since we saw last year what happens when you really don't have a point guard or (laughs) a shooting guard at all and i think auburn fans are going to be really happy to see that come together this year i mean do you guys remember how excited alabama folks were because of namari burnett coming from texas tech like those types of things jd davison every single year because of the transfer portal and it's going to be very fun to look at 
post-NCAA tournament, really even that first week of the NCAA tournament for some schools that maybe just missed out. But Christian, appreciate you taking the time to join us today. That was Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us for the first hour of the show. We'll be back with hour number two in just a moment. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Jacob Hillman with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Call in at 334-321-1390. That'll put you through to us on the line. We got a fun hour number two set up for you. A little bit of a negative segment here, but it's it's going to be interesting and thought-provoking, I promise. We're going to talk about the three worst things to happen to Auburn football in the last decade. And how that has brought Auburn to where we're at right now and in a new coaching staff and just kind of looking back a bit at their trajectory of how things have gotten to where they're at right now. But then tomorrow or Tuesday, I should say, or on our next show, we will talk about the three best things to happen to Auburn football in the last decade. I decided to go with the bad news first, but then we're also going to do something fun, a little funny, uh, all in good fun. Like I said, comparing college football coaches to Avengers characters. I think that's going to be fun. I got, I, got, I got some good ones there for folks. So we got a fun hour number two here for you as we head into a holiday weekend with the 4th of July coming up. And I hope everybody has a safe and fun weekend and uh, enjoys themselves during this holiday celebra- celebrating our country's independence. But something that I want to touch on real quick first before we get into our hypotheticals and our trajectory and whatnot. I thought it was very interesting that you look back and you see that the – that, that Christian Clemente in hour number one, who we had on AuburnSports.com, I, I've been saying stuff like there, there's it's a yellow light for recruiting right now. Be cautious. Things are not looking great right now, but it's not time to panic. But things aren't looking great right now. And Christian Clemente did say something along those lines and did, ecu- did echo that sentiment a bit when we had him on in hour number one, that Auburn seems to have lost, that, that Auburn seems to be having trouble with some momentum and not being able to get guys to commit. Jacob, brief thoughts? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's early on in this coaching staff's tenure, and yeah, you're going to have a slow start, but it's one of those things where this is a slower start than you would expect, especially with the, it's the first month that guys are allowed to be on campus in almost two years. So that's a big deal that... You're, you're struggling so much. And which, of course, we've, we've talked about this. The fact that Auburn is a big thing is game day and what it's like in the atmosphere. So who knows? Maybe September, October rolls around. Things improve a little bit and gain some traction. Let's head to our phone lines now, 334-321-1390. We told you to call in yesterday. Spectre, and you're joining us today. We appreciate it, my man. What's on your mind? Hey, guys. Uh, listen, <clears throat> I know I'm bringing up some old news, but I was listening to that podcast about the five coaches that Auburn has had over the years. Yeah, the last five coaches, and, and we uh, we ranked their um, 
we ranked them based on like success. Is that what you're talking about? That's what I'm talking about. Um, I won't go through all the details of each coach because I know it'll take some time, but I'll just skim through the highlights. Uh, I'll start with Coach Dye. Of course, he had the uh, four SEC championships, and and the biggest his accomplishment, I think, was the fact that he uh, took the Iron Bowl out of Birmingham. And, uh, and and that really, really felt good with me because I thought we were at a disadvantage every time we went to Legion Field. But uh, with that being said, uh, with uh, Eric Ramsey actually taking Pat Dye down, it's, it's, you know, that what happened with Eric Ramsey is now coming to light with this nil, this NIL. If that would have been in play back then, I think uh, Pat Dye would have never lost his coaching job. You think he would have kept going a little bit longer? Yeah, especially because Eric Ramsey obviously was paid to play. Sure. And um, he was going through some rough times. Eric Ramsey was married, so they were, I, I think, Colonial Bank, which Pat Dye had a big interest in, was was. Uh, feeling feeding that uh, anyway I don't want to go through that I take up too much of y'all's time <laughs> but anyway um, that brings me to Terry Bowden the next coach and uh, only coach in Auburn history to win this first 20 games now you can say well those were Pat Dye's players well you know that goes for every coach that sees another coach you know if you're saying that, then I could have went in there and coached Pat Dye's team and won the first 20 games. Uh, I think Terry had had the uh, the Bowden uh, the the Bowden touch as far as coaching, but he also had on his staff Jimbo Fisher and Tommy Bowden, which those two went on to coach. Tommy went on to coach Clemson. It was fairly successful there, and you know the story behind Jimbo Fisher. Right. So with that being said, I think if Bowden would have had the chance, the opportunity, without the interference of, I don't know if Pat Dye was part of it, I would assume he was, but the trustees were definitely involved in telling Terry Bowden what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. And that just basically just took him down. And um, all right, going on to Tommy Tuberville, uh, one SEC championship and five divisional championships, and you could say he had a national championship in 2004, undefeated team, and he had the, like four first-round draft choices. I mean, my goodness. Three of which were in the same backfield. Yes, exactly. And You're talking about all this being done in, in, in less than 10 years. And, of course, Tommy had the same problem, the same problem that Terry Bowden had. He couldn't keep Bobby Louder. And and, and his, I, I would say, Housel was right along with him and uh, could not keep it, keep their nose out of their business, would not let the coach coach the team. And, uh, and eventually Jay Ga- uh, Jet Gate brought uh, Tommy down, I mean, it showed on the field. I mean, in his last year, I mean, the team was not focused. He wasn't focused. And he had injuries on top of that. 
and Jay Jacobs came in to replace Hausler as AD, and Jay Jacobs basically begged Tommy Tuberville not to quit, not to not to resign. But it was a foregone conclusion. All right. Well, let's, but I mean, didn't Tommy on. keep coaching well? I mean, Tommy kept coaching well on after he did after Jetgate. I mean, because that was oh, yeah. 2004 was right after that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, it brings us to Gus. I mean, not Gus. I mean, it brings us to Gene Chizik. And um, Gene Chizik, uh, uh, he came here with with a lot of Auburn base not wanting him to come here for some reason. Uh, maybe it was because of his previous record. But um, I think Gus Malzahn carried Gene Chizik, and it showed on the field in 2010. And so what happened after that is, is history. And then Gus got, you know, replaced Gene Chizik. And so that brings me to Gus and, I think Gus's problem, what brought him eventually down, I mean, they kept giving him raises, giving him this, giving him that, but his problem was he had no leadership. He couldn't He couldn't lead. He, he, he just showed on his face every time he did an interview, every time the Auburn Football Review came on, it was just like he was a deer in headlights. And it just doesn't, it just didn't look right, didn't feel right. And I think that showed in, in the locker room. Did you uh, and, uh, did you agree with our rankings on in order of like how we how we ranked them on success? Because I I think I had Die at one, I said Tuberville at two, three I said Malzahn, four I said Chiswick, and five I said Bowden. And and I have to put an asterisk there by Bowden because he didn't get the opportunity to play for anything of substance because he was on yeah. probation for the first two years. But I mean, when you look at the trophy case, he he didn't win anything compared to the other four coaches, right? So I'm kind of curious what your thoughts on that are on that on Spectre. Yeah, well, I'd rank them. I'd rank them as Pat and, and Tuberville, almost tied for one. But I'll give Pat Dye the edge because of, he took us out of Legion Field. I don't think we would have won as been as successful as we were against Alabama if we hadn't been out of Legion Field. So I'll give him the edge on that. Also, kind of ran but, the SEC uh, while he was there. I mean, the the four or five yeah. SEC championships he had, and I mean, winning them all and right. winning a lot of them in a row. I mean, yeah, it was so his I league. Put, I, yeah, so I put Die up there, and then then Tommy a close first, and 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 uh, here's where I have a difference with most of everybody. I think Terry Bowden, if he did had if he'd had the opportunity without the interference that he had going on, I think he would have been very good. He would have been as good as his dad was at Florida State. Well, he might have won a and title course, in 1993. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and um, yeah. That's because of probation. He definitely would have won a title. I'm pretty sure of it. Might have won one in 1994. And, I was gonna say they had a chance. Yep. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I put Gus in there after Terry. And if Gus had been a, just a, been been a coach instead of a offensive coordinator, you know, I, Gus reminds me of, of, of Muschamp. Muschamp is an excellent defensive coordinator, but he stinks as a head coach. And I think Gus falls right into that, and uh, just without the train wreck seasons yeah. that that Muschamp had. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyway, that's how I rank them, guys. I just wanted to mention that I heard that on your podcast. I said, "Want to get my two bits in there?" Well, we appreciate you listening, Inspector. We appreciate it. All right, you guys have a nice day. You too, Inspector.
Now, Spectre on Lavis, and if you want to call in, 334-321-1390, that's how you can call in. Spectre texted us yesterday as well, the text line, 334-564-1840. Jacob, did you ever rank these guys? No, I didn't rank them, but I think I lean more toward it's, – it's a mix between y'alls. I would put – I'd probably, even though Chizik has a national championship, I'd probably put him at five with Bowden at four. And I think Gus, because even though it wasn't great, he was pretty consistent. And I put him at three, and and he really, that first year, it was just such a magical year that after 2012, it kind of gave Auburn fans hope. It kind of gave everyone hope and and reason to care about Auburn in the SEC picture again. And you know, 2016 comes around, and that October happens, and you think, man, they have a chance to do something great. 2017 happens, and I I really think that Gus and Bowden are kind of similar because they started off so hot Bowden just never got the chance because of probation you wonder what could have been if he got the chance because as pointed out often about Terry Bowden he did win his first 20 games and if they're not on probation for those first two years well bang that's a natty at least in Mm -hmm. 1993 it's a natty it may not have been in 94 because they didn't win two two of those games in 1994 they tied one and lost one yeah the last two games of the season tied with Georgia lost Alabama so, and that's a mighty big streak to hold up, right? Over, you know, to win 22 straight games and try and get to a national championship. I agree with a lot of Spectre sentiments on Pat Dye, number one. Pat Dye's a number one for me easily. I don't even have to think about it because he ran the SEC. I mean, he had four SEC championships, three in a row. He won bowl games and big bowl games at that. I mean, he won a Sugar Bowl. He won Peach Bowls. He won the Citrus Bowl. He finished inside the top 10 for five of his seasons that he was uh, that he was coaching Auburn. He did it four years in a row from 1986 to 1989. I mean, by far, when I look at his records, I mean, every year it was a, it was at least, you know, an eight or a nine-win season. And back then, that was winning a lot of football games because you were playing a shorter schedule. And it was harder to win those games because sure. you go and look at those schedules Auburn's playing in. <laughs> the, the easiest team they would play is Southern Miss, and that would be like the only cup game, cu- cupcake game they would play. I mean, you're looking at – non-conference schedules at Florida State and Georgia Tech and Miami all on the same schedule and you're like what were they thinking back then and of course you were it was a voter-based it was a voter-based national championship system so you had to play tougher schedules and you had to go and beat the best teams in order to win national championships back then that's a big part of why I have diet number one and then of course he did take he did take the Iron Bowl out of out of Birmingham which really put Auburn on a track from that time period you know starting in 1981 to where you're at right now you're gonna look at the iron bowl record i mean this is just fact auburn's on pretty equal footing with alabama now not in a national trophy case no they are not because of what nick saban has done but in terms of auburn not auburn not taking trash from the team from the uh, across the state and auburn actually competing on the same football field on the same day uh record suggests that well and another reason to have pat diet number one is like i said about gus you know 2012 auburn fans were kind of hopeless and he when he he had that 2013 season it kind of just erased that you didn't really remember it what Pat Dye did was on a much larger scale because it had been a decade and probably a half of just dreadful Auburn football and he put Auburn on the map he like Spectre said brought the Iron Bowl to Auburn I think that's a big deal as well because as you said the record kind of puts them on equal playing ground in the last just in the last decade you've had three just incredible victories over Alabama well there's not an advantage every year now because you're not going to Birmingham for the game but on top of that like Alabama has to concern themselves with Auburn when they play at the end of the year now sure you can look at some of these skewed 
skewed point totals when Alabama wins because when Alabama beats Auburn over the last 15 years under Nick Saban when Alabama beats Auburn it seems like it's a blowout and when Auburn beats Alabama it's it's definitely a traumatic finish well, it seems but you look at all those blowouts and most of them are mediocre Auburn football teams 2008 sure. mediocre 2011 mediocre uh, 2009 was a good Auburn football team I would say kept I would it close though yeah, it kept it close. Uh, 2012 horrible football team 2015 yeah. mediocre and uh, then, that was a bad football team. Yeah, they. I'm comparing relative to 2012, but sure. mediocre. And they kept it. I mean, they were within two scores. Think about that. And then 2016, that was a the quarterback situation was just blowing up at that point because of injuries. And then obviously 2017 with the victory. 2018, that is probably the one where Auburn was a Auburn gave solid up solid football Auburn gave team up that year. Good point. And then obviously last year. There was nothing inspiring about Auburn's play at the end of 2018 until they got to the Music City Bowl where they should have done what they did to Purdue. And I the think 2018, that, and we're going to talk about this later when we yeah. talk about worst things to happen to Auburn football, 2018 was definitely a year that I've got marked down. 18 was the beginning of the end for Gus Malzahn, I think, when you look at his coaching career. A specific moment or the year? <laughs> there was a specific moment that I'll talk about later, but that well. season, <laughs> if, you, if you don't want to go to a specific moment, that season was the beginning of the end, I think. Because there's a whole lot of things, and I just like I said, when it, when it comes to Auburn, Alabama, you know, bring all this together, like the six in a row, that doesn't happen if you're playing in Birmingham. The kick six in the last decade doesn't really happen if you're playing in Birmingham. And also, like I said, just putting Auburn on the map because right. they they probably weren't considered that powerful of a program back in the '80s. Of course, we're young; we don't we don't know. We weren't alive back then. But oh, the perception about Auburn was drastically different before Pat Dye got there. And now you look at it, and Auburn is probably considered a top 15 program in the country. 100%. Without a doubt. And they're top 15 in wins all time amongst current active FBS programs. Number two on my list was Tommy Tuberville. And, I mean, you compare yeah. Tommy to all of the other coaches on this list. Tommy did more in the trophy case than, Longevity is my than Terry Bowden. He had the longest tenure of all of the other coaches. He, he did more in the trophy case than all of the other three coaches other than Gene Chizik because I think that national championship weighs out a little bit. But then again, Tommy won more and didn't have the worst season in, in Auburn football history, right? right? So like in a way that kind of it, – does it offset it that the worst season in college football – it seems like in people's perception of Gene Chizik, the worst season in Auburn football history yeah. kind of offset the national championship and where people rank him because of how short the tenure was. But I have Tuberville at two. He's, he won five SEC West titles – won one SEC championship in total, which was in 2004, had an undefeated season. I had him and, and Gus Malzahn very close to each other on this list, and when I compared the two, Gus Malzahn's best year was a 12-2 and finish, lost in the national title. Tommy Tuverell's best season was a 13-0 and finish and didn't get to play in it, but he won his bowl game and won the BCS game. And then Malzahn's second-best finish was a 10-4 and season. That was a loss in the Peach Bowl. And Tommy Tuberville's second best finish was an eleven and two year and a win in the Cotton Bowl. I mean, you just you plain and simple. You look at it. the The best of Tuberville was even still better than Gus Malzahn's best. His two best seasons were were. I know you're grimacing a little bit on that because Malzahn took him to the national title, but yeah, that's why I'm still lost. I think it's equal because it's just that was just a difference of votes and computer ranking. Okay. Well, I guess yeah, it was because it's, it was the same system. But 2013. You're gonna say 2013 was equal to 2004, but I don't know who 2000. Oklahoma, I don't know who Oklahoma played in the Big 12 championship, but basically, 2004 Auburn just needed. They played like Colorado or something like that. They basically needed Colorado to do what Michigan State did to Ohio State in 2013. 
for that to be where you could directly yeah. compare those. So that wasn't happening. Right. Maybe they played Nebraska or somebody like that. I, I don't know because Colorado and Nebraska were on the other side of the division. I'm not mm-hmm. sure they played back in 04. Yeah. But. Besides the point, it's just that I would put 2004 and 2013 as equals because you both won an SEC championship. And like I said, Gus. So Tommy was winning his bowl games too. Went five yeah. and three in bowl games. We were ending seasons well, on bright notes. I'm thinking, oh, this was a good year. I'm comparing best season. Sure, I'm, that's why I'm. Comparing. I'm, just, I'm still talking about the two and why I put Malzahn right. below him. Malzahn more than more times than not, we ended the year on a sour note, angry about the season, yeah. than ending the year on the the potential for you know a, a bright future down the line, right? Which was typically the case I felt like with Tommy Tuberville with the way that Auburn was ending seasons and winning serious bowl games. They won a Capital One Bowl, they won a Sugar Bowl, they won a Cotton Bowl. You know that meant something. Those were January Day One bowl games. Auburn was most years playing on a New Year's Day bowl game. Whereas with Malzahn, that may have not have always been the case. But I did put Malzahn above Gene Chizik and Terry Bowden because he he won more. Right. He won more things that went into the trophy case. Now is that Terry Bowden's fault? No, because Terry Bowden was on probation his first two years. If Terry Bowden was not on probation his first two years and he had actually been given a chance to win something, then I would probably have him above Gus Malzahn because of his best two seasons, kind of eclipse. And and, and Terry Bowden's worst was eight and four. Malzahn's worst was not eight and four, right? It was six and six. It was it was seven and six. It was it was those types of seasons. So, I mean, Terry Bowden, if he had had the opportunity, I probably would have ranked above him, but he didn't have the opportunity. And so that was why I had Terry Bowden a little bit lower. And then I had Chiswick above Terry Bowden because, once again, Chiswick won a national championship, the first in over 50 years. So that meant something, too. But we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll head back to the phone lines. We'll catch up with everybody. Y'all stay patient. We'll be back in just a few moments. We appreciate all the calls coming in. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Jacob Hillman with you on the Friday edition of On the Line. Headed into the weekend. Got 4th of July coming up this Sunday. Hope everybody enjoys their long weekend. Observing that on Monday. So we'll be back with you guys on Tuesday. Headed to the phone lines now, 334-321-1390. We got Terry on the line with us. Terry, how you doing on this Friday? I'm great, guys. How about y'all? We're doing really well. This is a great conversation you're having. I'm going to throw my two cents in if you don't mind. Go for it. Um, you got to put Pad down number one. Um, I think his number one is based on three things. I think it's the fact he took over the program when it was at its worst under Barfy Barfield. Um, number two would be the conference titles. Number three, moving the Iron Bowl to Auburn. Uh, other than that, I have a hard time pulling for a coach that couldn't get a national title and got us put on probation. Sure. I, I, I don't think you can mis- misread that at all. I really don't. Who's your number two? Uh, Number two, I would put Tommy Tuberville because one thing he was, he was consistent. Very, very consistent. I think he won uh, at a high three, level, too. I'm sorry? I think he won at a high level, too. I mean, I mean, he yeah. did have an undefeated season, which was something that really didn't happen often for Auburn football. When you look at it, just, I mean, just what I said, consistency. Just being consistent, putting guys in the NFL. Um, you know, he recruited big, strong linemen. He got it done. Yeah. Uh, number three, I would put Terry Bowden simply based on the fact that, um, that as you said, Noah, um, you know, 90, 94, 95, you really didn't know. You know what I mean? I felt like Terry Bowden's downfall not only was the interference of the boosters, but all the faith he put in Damian Craig. He put too much faith in one player, not a team. Um, number four, I'd put Gus because I felt like Gus, uh, quite honestly, got more in love with what he wanted than what he needed to do, and that's what his downfall was. Number five was the worst hire ever, and it's Gene Chiswick. 
Uh, I know people are going to say, oh, he's got a national title. Well, I think he's no bigger. He's just as big a buffoon as that jerk down in LSU. I, I just, I, that, that guy, that's Gene Chizik part two is all that is. Uh, you'll find out that they both rode a great player to a championship and a solid team to a championship. No, neither one could coach their way out on end of a wet paper sack. Yeah, I, I, and I think you'll, I think you'll see that. I agree that that Chizik's definitely number five on this list, just because. I mean, yeah, the national championship, but you could also argue Cam Newton and Gus Malzahn really helped them to that national championship. So then does that boost Gus Malzahn on your list then? No, because that was <laughs> him as an, a head coach? That was him as an offensive okay. coordinator. I think he's a good offensive coordinator. He's a great player. That's what I agree. I think I agree with what Spectre said, guys. I think he is an offensive coordinator. I think his new job you'll find that out too. Mm-hmm. As soon as he gets rid of those players and gets someone else's players, you'll find out. He's really an offensive coordinator. That's what he really is. And there's nothing wrong with that. You can make better money than we ever made. And it's less it's less pressure field you know and and there's always going to be offensive coordinator jobs out there I mean you think about how long Monty Kiffin kept coaching I mean there's always a job yeah and I just I just can't emphasize enough uh that he's more in love with what he wanted than what he needed and he his ego got in the way a little bit now I'm not saying there wasn't some outside interference because there probably was but he would I mean when you look at some of the guys he should have went out and got he went out and got the guys like Jared Stenham and Bo Nix who who can't do anything um, that that that's there. He has shots, guys. He has shots at pretty good players, guys that would have fit his system. And I always tell people all the time, his most successful season was thirteen. Can we? Anybody? Nobody can argue that. I don't think. Right. 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 Um, he, would you rather win eleven games and complete fifteen or twenty passes a game with Nick Marshall, or complete twenty five or thirty and, and win go eight and four like he does with Bo Nix or Jared Stenham? I mean, Nick Marshall was more fun to watch than any air raid offense that I've seen. So right. absolutely, at twenty thirteen with fifteen passes per game. I mean that's that's that and that there there's my point, right? There's my point. He's more in love with what he wanted when he needed because the reason Nick Marshall was successful because people had to respect the run. They had to respect Nick Marshall could sprint down the field for twenty yards and there's your bam, there's your first down. You know he could do that and these guys he's recruited they could they can't do that. Although I think they can run a little bit but not nearly enough to make a team respect it. And he didn't go out and recruit linemen either. Let's be honest, guys. He didn't he didn't have a, a good rapport with offensive defensive linemen at all. We've seen that in the recent I'm, years. No, not in the recent years at all. And, and he wrote, I mean, you know, he's just a coordinator. That's what he is. Gus Malzahn is a coordinator. I mean, I was I, look, he was successful, and I, I was on his bandwagon for a while. But he was a coordinator, guys. He, that's all he was. And and just, you know, back to Chiswick a little bit, I just think it was the worst hire ever. When you hire a 5-19 and 19 coach, and I know guys at the Iowa State University, they were glad to get rid of him. Man. Trust me. They were, they were tickled <laughs> that he split. Iowa State's in a, in a great spot now with Matt Campbell. So I mean, it, it, people couldn't tell you that. I mean, you can't. People can't tell you now that you can't win Iowa State. But Terry, we got to head to a break, my man. Take care, guys. You too. Have a happy Fourth of July. That was Terry on the line. Was three three four three two one thirteen ninety. We'll be back in just a few moments. Comparing college football coaches to Avengers characters. This isn't the summer. I don't know what is. Wrapping up the Friday edition of On the Line as we go into the 4th of July weekend. Hope everybody has a safe and fun Independence Day. Jacob, bad game last night for the Atlanta Hawks, my man. I think this is it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm willing to say that the Bucks are going to move on, and I said this to you off air the other day. I don't think I said it on air where we were talking about Game 5, but Game 4 was the response of the Atlanta Hawks without Trey Young. 
Last night was the response of the Milwaukee Bucks without Giannis Antetokounmpo because there was no way for them to recover in game four when Giannis went down at the time that he did because you didn't you can't possibly game plan for something like that so your head's kind of spinning and Atlanta has the three-point shooting ability to really to put it on you and keep your head spinning but last night they were prepared and they were ready to go yeah and it's one of those things where if we got beat the Hawks I expected it to be from Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday which they got theirs they scored 26 and 25 but Freaking Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis scoring 33 and 22 points. What? Where did that come from? Bobby Portis is awesome, man. I really just, I enjoyed seeing his facial expressions. And, and look, they didn't get anything from the bench either. Well, I think you, I, I th- I'm shocked the most, actually, probably from last night, just watching last night's game. What shocks me a lot about last night's performance from the Hawks, they had no paint fortitude. Yeah. No, the, the, they don't care about their own rim. They just allowed, I mean, Brooke Lopez scoring 33 points. Half of it was probably dunks, and they were vicious dunks. Like, dunks, there he was putting guys on posters last night. I mean, the numbers tell the story. Do you, do you know how bad the, the discrepancy was? Tell everybody. Points in the paint? Well, Atlanta scored 36. That's pretty bad, but it's something that, you know, the three-point shooting can overcome. You typically well, want to hit about 50. You do. And, and the Bucks did that, and they scored 66. They had 30 more points in the paint than the Hawks did. I mean... You're not I feel like they like defended that. the rim a lot. Of course, there was a lot of people calling out officiating last night, but still, I, I, that's never a good nah. excuse for me unless there was like something that really, like one call there that was, really just changes the game. There was nothing agree, uh, egregious last night that, yeah. I don't know. Hawk, I think Hawks win game six. No chance of game seven, though, if they, if they are to win game six. That's it for another week of On the Line. We'll be back with you on Tuesday. Same time, same place. You know where to find us. Happy Fourth of July, everybody. Stay safe out there.